This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Is there actually potentially a light at the end of the tunnel in Gaza? I'm Matt Robeson. It's Beyond Politics. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much to all of our subscribers and the people who have answered our call to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's working. It's helping. Thank you. We've moved just in the time that you've done that action from the top 2.5% of all podcasts on Earth to the top 2%, and we are climbing. I am really thrilled to welcome back a uh, friend of the show, Dan Perry, former lead Mideast reporter for the AP, editor for the AP for the entire region based in Tel Aviv, and just the go-to expert these days on the conflict between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, also the author of the go-to source for information on what's really happening and what the future could portend. Uh, your Substack, Dan, is called Ask Questions Later. People can find it at danperry.substack.com. I could not appeal with greater fervency to our listeners for people to check something out and maybe consider paying for the news that you value, not the distortion that you get in places like the New York Times, but actual informed analysis and information. Dan, with that huge preamble, welcome back. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm not worthy. Uh, I, I'm you are more than worthy. Happy to be here with you. <laughs> well, you're more than worthy. And I'll tell you what caught my eye and my ear and made me want to drag you at your time. This is like almost 830 your time after a long day of doing all of the work that you do. You have been very gracious to come join me. We'll probably run this over the weekend because your last two postings on your Substack have really grabbed my attention. You did one on the genocide charges pending against Israel, which are being argued out in the, I wanna get this, there's an alphabet soup of different forums uh, that sound the same, but this is the international, What? which one is this? Which one, it's not the International Criminal Court. This is happening at the International- Court of Justice, CJ. And so it, this is juxtaposed from the International Criminal Court, which is what people confuse with. And the which explanation of all of that is on your Substack, which was a compelling read in itself. The juxtaposition it's of really that. The, following thing. the International Court of Justice, unlike the ICC, has no powers of subpoena, no arrest warrants, no ability to jail anyone. It is largely recommender. And whatever it does is either ignored or ends up going to the UN Security Council which can, on the basis of a ruling of the ICJ, you know, uh, support economic sanctions or authorize military force to be used to achieve a particular outcome, but doesn't actually need an IC, ICJ ruling to do that. And undignified though it may be, and respected though the court may be, in fact, its rulings mean exactly nothing. And that explanation and the mere fact that you had to provide it about Israel a state founded in the aftermath of the Holocaust, the quintessential definition of an act of genocide against a people. And the fact that Israel is now facing a charge of genocide because of the war against Hamas, 
the juxtaposition of that idea with your most recent post, which suggests, I actually, I just want to read the very first clause of the first sentence. It's a, you say a reported ceasefire proposal from Qatar or Qatar, depending on pronunciation, contains a key element that might help end the ruinous three-month war. And that grabbed my attention. So could you maybe walk us through what is that key element and why is it so significant? Look, it's just a report and, and it's only one element, but the element in question is that Qatar appears to have proposed to Israel that it enable the exile of Yehia Senwar, the chief barbarian and his fellow barbarians from Gaza with amnesty, essentially, in exchange for an end to the war. Now that won't work because after an invasion by what is not Hamas, but essentially the state of Gaza, resulted in the massacre of 1,200 people and the torturing of pregnant women and the burning of babies and the barbarism that can hardly be contemplated that was absolutely, by the UN definition, a genocide. Israel, I think, is no longer prepared to end the war without Hamas being removed from power in Gaza. It requires a surrender of the government of Gaza, which is Hamas. The proposal in question doesn't really offer that. It just says the leadership is exiled. So I do think that's a relevant element in a possible, actually plausible deal that would involve the restoration of the Palestinian Authority to control in Gaza and a few other elements as well. Uh, I do think Israel would be willing to allow the barbarians in chief to leave Gaza and live to die another day in exchange for the hostages and for a surrender. Now, they're not offering a surrender quite yet, but the fact that they're offering, it would appear, exile and amnesty for their own cowardly persons is absolutely a step in the right direction. This is part of, and this is why I am genuinely telling people that it's really worth reading and following your Substack, because you have been talking about what a pathway to a peace plan, to a ceasefire, to a solution here would look like for months. And this is one of the key elements. So what I heard you saying what I, and what I think I read into the piece is the proposal itself won't work, but you made this eye-opening point that I never would have considered, obviously, because I'm not the expert that you are, that the fact that Qatar is proposing this kind of idea of you know, the leadership of Hamas could go into exile and in exchange for handing over the hostages. You write, it's highly unlikely that Qatar, which is a supposedly rational country that is also a main patron of the jihadi terrorist group, would have proposed this on its own. If the report is true, this is a Hamas offer. That is an interesting insight because they're not giving away the entire peace plan that you've outlined. But they're saying, here is a critical plank that let's float this as a trial balloon. And that's a significant concession. This seems like this is a signal of Hamas itself saying, we could be persuaded to move in this direction. Absolutely. If indeed it's true, I have to caveat it and say it's a report. But yeah, Qatar is a chief patron of Hamas. Now, by the way, I have to say, in this era, in, in the development of human civilization, we we're in a very weird moment where we normalize the totally abnormal. Donald Trump could be reelected in the US. 
after like almost 100 indictments. I mean, crazy things are happening. It is absolutely crazy that Qatar can host the World Cup and can try to have one of the world's major investment operations going on and can actually seek to be a normative country on the world stage and at the same time be a massive supporter of Hamas. People need to understand what Hamas is. There is, you know, the useful idiots of the global jihadist movement in, on U.S. campuses and on London streets think they, that you can equate Hamas with the Palestinian national cause. Hamas is the enemy of the Palestinians. It is the enemy, for sure, of the West. And Hamas really should be eradicated. It should have come as no surprise that they carried out a global historic pogrom that was the most deadly day for Jews ever unprovoked and unbidden on October 7th. These are not people that anyone normal should ever contemplate supporting. And yet, yet they do. The world should tell Qatar after this whole thing is said and done, because right now they are kind of being useful as an inter as intermediary, that you cannot, you can no longer behave this way. The world should also tell Iran, that is the main patron of Hamas, that to do this carries a maximal price. Maximal. What people don't know is that the world hasn't yet, the West even, hasn't yet fully imposed economic sanctions on Iran. It's insane. We let people do stuff that, should, that they should not get away with. The Houthis, another arm of Iran, have been bombarding ships trying to get through the Babel Mandar to the Suez Canal up the Red Sea. That is a third of all global container traffic. This has caused four of the top five shipping companies in the world to circumnavigate Africa which creates tremendous supply chain miseries and will cause inflation in the West. We don't feel it yet, but if this goes on, we will pretty soon. And why? The Houthis are not some ethnic group. They are a terrorist group that has managed to control Aden and a few other key parts of Yemen. They're an arm of Iran and they should be spanked. Why we let them get away with this is incomprehensible. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Let me read back to you sort of the insight that that I'm gleaning here, which is the only way, having made the fateful decision to invade after the October 7th massacre, having taken that step, in your analysis, Israel will not stop until Hamas is no longer in control of Gaza. That is the key thing that unlocks everything else. And what you're writing here, which I have not read elsewhere, and uh, you know, I read other sources besides you, but I, I, what you're writing here is the fact that this is being floated, and if true, based on this report, would be a, 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 an admission by Hamas that they could accept the idea of going into exile. That is the pathway to any potential solution here. And you even note that there is historic precedent for this. This would be similar to the PLO withdrawal from Beirut in 1982. And so there, there could be a discussion happening within the leadership of Hamas that they have reached the point that 
would unlock anything else that would represent a, a an end to the conflict. It's conceivable. Look, the PLO was a more rational secular movement. So you knew they were going to save the Rahines by getting out of Dodge. One doesn't know really what to make of religious fundamentalist maniacs like Hamas. However, there is ample evidence to suggest that whereas the exploit, the imbecility of religious fanatics willing to commit suicide in the name of jihad for sending them to blow up buses and pubs in Israel, and indeed train stations in Brussels, they themselves do appreciate uh, their own continued survival. So many of the previous Hamas leaders who managed to survive uh, Israel's attempts to assassinate them have ended up living lives of great luxury in Qatar, and that includes Ismail Haniyeh and some others who are reputedly worth billions at this point. These are billions of dollars that they stole from the innocents of the world who want to donate money to the Palestinian cause. Yeah. It's reasonable to assume that Yahya Sinwar and his other benighted deputies might actually agree after they've led to the destruction of a third of Gaza and caused the death of tens of thousands of people and committed one of the most ignoble massacres in the history of humanity to save themselves by joining their friends in Khatam. Is that the right thing to do? Is it justice? I do not know. I'll say this then, for real. There is a completely distorted narrative here. If Israel manages to remove Hamas from power in Gaza, that is a favor primarily to the Palestinians. And I do not discount the misery happening right now in Gaza. It is awful. It was brought upon them by Hamas. And if it should lead to the removal of Hamas, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see celebrations in the streets, in the streets of what is left of Gaza. It is truly a tragedy. It really is that this had to happen. And, you know, historians will judge why it happened. But I, I partly blame Israel. In 2000, when Hamas, which is falsely reported to have been elected, they were never elected. They won a parliamentary election in 2000. That was not for the executive. When Hamas staged a military coup and kicked the Palestinian Authority out of Gaza, Israel should have intervened. And they didn't. But let this happen. And then came so many years of Benjamin Netanyahu, whose raison d'etre is to try to prevent a peace deal and a partition deal of the Holy Land with the Palestinians. And he figured that having these vile maniacs in charge of Gaza somehow weakened the Palestinians and was good. And that's what happened. And therefore, he tolerated it. And he allowed it to balloon into this monster that currently is very difficult, very difficult to subdue. That is why it, the war has gone on as long as it is and why it's as ugly as it is. There's been, at least in... in my reading of it, but I don't think I'm alone. I think there has been a growing concern that if Hamas isn't winning, boy, it's hard to define that term in, in this context. Hamas is at least achieving its aims. It has inflicted a horrible attack on Israel. It has turned and divided the sentiments in the West of Israel's allies and patrons. It has found useful idiots on American college campuses and in the American Congress to support its cause. And now Israel faces these genocide charges, ironically brought by South Africa, of all nations, in the Same. International Court of Justice. And from a, if, again, if you just want to say, not winning, but is it achieving its aims, you would have to conclude that Hamas is achieving many of its aims. 
the, the misery and suffering of the Palestinian people in Gaza, that is probably one of Hamas's aims. And yet they are potentially willing to take this step. Is it because the leadership of Hamas is in imminent physical danger? Is this all motivated by their desire to save their own skins? Their aim is to prevent a partition peace deal in the Holy Land. Their actions have certainly contributed to that. Even if they leave Gaza tomorrow, the leadership, they will have contributed to making the Israeli public be very fearful of handing over any more territory to the Palestinians and cause Israel to sink into a one-state reality that will be binational, not Jewish, not democratic, a total disaster. This is what they want. All of this is a bidding of Iran. Their combined effort to undermine and weaken the state of Israel is just the vanguard toward a general plan, which are not in any way coy about, to do the same thing to the West. And as for the useful idiots in the West on their campuses, and, and as I say in the streets of London, it really is a pitiful sight to behold, honestly. These LGBTQ simpletons who actually don't seem to understand that if they ended up in Gaza run by Hamas, they'll be strung from the rafters. As the leader of Hamas did to his own deputy in 2016, I want to say. Yes. Let's talk about the Netanyahu factor, which is something you raise in your substack. We've talked about this on the show before. It is the suspicion of many. I sound very Trumpian. A lot of people are saying it is the suspicion of many that Netanyahu's motives in prosecuting this war are far from pure, are, are, are far from having the, the state of Israel's best interests at heart, that they are likely largely self-motivated because he recognizes, as you write, that the end of the war likely also will coincide with the end of his occupation of the prime minister position, and that he could be open to not just the bribery and corruption charges that he's already facing, but also extremely difficult questions about the failure of his government to foresee this attack and the signals that were missed. Is there, I don't even know how to frame the question. You've outlined, here is what a peace deal would look like, and here's how it would work, and here's how it could be acceptable to all sides. Is there a way to get there with Netanyahu in office? Will he allow no. this to happen? It's almost not about him, Netanyahu, to stay in office depends on a first feeble majority that was not based on a majority of the polls, but on cer certain circumstances, not unlike the electoral college in the US. He depends on his political survival and hard right parties that are fascistic essentially, and they would never let him do anything resembling the deal that must be done to go to a better place for the Palestinians. Netanyahu right now is one of the major impediments towards getting to a place of peace and of coexistence in the Middle East. But more than that, Netanyahu represents truly the vanguard of the global collapse of democracy where populists and criminals somehow bamboozle the people and create so much confusion through various clever means in society that they end up in power. This is a person who's on trial for bribery and fraud and breach of trust, who just tried to Putinize the Israeli political system and give complete and unchecked power to the executive because of an election that was basically tied, but somehow yielded power for him. The powers he sought for himself would have enabled him to cancel all future elections. 
a true Putinization, like in Turkey, like in Hungary, like what happened in Poland until the Polish people somehow miraculously got rid of the uh, of their populist right-wing government. Yeah, Netanyahu is a major problem. He is absolutely not credible as a leader in wartime. It's certainly, look, a lot of people in Israel absolutely believe, and not just in Israel, by according to Wall Street Journal, many people in the White House believe that Netanyahu has an interest in prolonging his conflict because he knows, as you just quoted me as saying, that the end of the conflict would probably be the end of his rule. Now, that is a very clear conflict of interest. And, you know, a lot of people would say that this is way too cynical to possibly be true, but it's such a fine line between a cynic and a realist. Yes. I, and you raise the possibility. All right, let me go at this from a different angle, and maybe this will take us out of here, and I'm not trying to suggest the an outline for your next article, but this is, of course, do. the burning question for me. The flash of insight that that I gleaned from your most recent piece was a, well, I guess it's several, a, that this offer, this potential offer is likely emanating from Hamas and B, that it's critical path, that any solution here is going to involve the removal of Hamas's leadership. And that's kind of part one of ultimately the removal of Hamas as the political governing authority in Gaza. You also just said that it's very unlikely that critical path involves Netanyahu staying in power. So I'm not suggesting that you need to devise a plan for getting rid of Netanyahu, although many around the world would rejoice at such an idea. But what are the other elements on the critical path to a solution here that need to happen and that people should look for next? If people had Dan Perry's brain, which enabled you to say, ooh, this is significant, what just happened, what other things should they look for in the next weeks that would represent this is also on the path, this is also There's on the path? A number of moving parts. One, we've seen already, which is the floated reports, which are going to be denied every now and then, and Hamas is willing to go into exile. The other will be that Israel will have to accept that the Palestinian Authority will be restored to power in Gaza. Netanyahu, in his disgraceful indifference, to the political fortunes of Joe Biden, which is one of the most spectacular cases of ingratitude I've seen in recent years, has scoffed at this, but Israel must accept it. When Israel accepts that it will be a rejuvenated, reinvigorated, re-democratized, and maybe with new people, PA, to be restored in Gaza, the Palestinian Authority, that will be a key move forward. And two other ones that I have to think should be part of this, is a global community imperative to get Hezbollah to stop attacking Israel and to implement Security Council Resolution 1701 calls for their removal from the border with Israel. And they should leave Israel alone, basically, because what an outrage that, just to make a point, because Iran told them to, Hezbollah is shelling Israel. And 100,000 people had to leave their homes in northern Israel. Consider how ridiculous that is. Again, we're normalizing the abnormal. That has to end. The Houthis outrage and blockading the, the Babel Mandeb and the Suez Canal effectively it has to be punished in a way that will be remembered. And mainly, I think the way to compel Israel to go to a different place politically, replace Netanyahu and begin the genuine process towards a two-state solution will be for Saudi Arabia and also, by the way, Kuwait and Qatar to agree to normalize relations with and sign a peace treaty with Israel. That would be a total regional reset that would create 
an alliance of Israel and the moderate Sunni Arab nations backed by the U.S. that would make a statement against Iran and basically the global axis of evil that would constitute for Biden an actual strategic victory that might make people forget about the somewhat shambolic and disgraceful pullout from Afghanistan. And you're not alone in calling for that enlarged solution. Tom Friedman has also been making the same case that this is an opportunity in a way to kind of get that Saudi deal going, and that could represent a- First, Matt, I think you know. Oh, you you were in first. (laughs) People should go to you first. Is that one? I should have done this in the other order, but you know, questions keep occurring. And you did tell me in the name of your Substack to ask questions later. So here I am doing it. Just to kind of go back to the subject of your previous writing, not this most recent one, and this genocide question. One of the concerns that I might have, but I'm not nearly the expert you are, is that if this court declares that Israel is perpetrating a genocide, might that be counterproductive for the cause of bringing an end to the conflict? My concern would be that already Netanyahu has terrible motivations, terrible incentives. The idea that an international body would be putting pressure on him and essentially declaring him a war criminal would add another factor of Israel not wanting to bring this to an end. Am I overreading? I mean, what would the effect of that kind of a determination be? Well, let me take a step back. The court cannot declare Israel guilty of genocide because the court is an arm of the UN and the UN has declared a definition for genocide under the genocide convention to which are signatories Israel, South Africa, the US, and even the Palestinians, which defines genocide in a way that, that does not attach to what Israel does in West Bank, genocide uh, in rather Gaza. Genocide is the intent to destroy life for a group in whole or in part as the main reason for an action. If you have a different reason, like to get Hamas out of power or to restore your hostages, and you have no particular inclination to kill a a group in whole or in part, which Israel manifestly does not, because Israel asked the people to leave northern Gaza so that they wouldn't be in harm's way, among many other pieces of evidence then it's not genocide. If there is a case of genocide, then it is the October 7th attack where Hamas basically massacred 1,200 people purely because there were Israelis. Genocide, by this definition, is not about scale. Most people in the street would think that genocide is the killing of a whole bunch of people. It is not. Genocide could be the killing of one person or even not even a killing. But if you intend to harm a person because of who they are, under the Genocide Convention, that's genocide. So this court will not convict Israel of genocide. It's nonsensical. However, what they could do, what they could do is issue a temporary injunction calling for an end to the war. Now, a lot of people don't know the ICJ has no enforcement powers whatsoever. The ICJ in February 2023 ordered Azerbaijan to end its then three-month blockade of Nagorno-Karabakh in very imperious terms. They used the future tense. They said Azerbaijan shall do this. They shall end the blockade. They shall ensure the free movement of people, goods, and material. They, I mean, they really made amazing predictions based on their own. And I'm guessing Aliyev stood right up and said, oh, if you say so. Far from quaking in his boots, Aliyev ratcheted up the blockade in June, and then in September attacked, and the entire population fled, 120,000 people. And what price did Aliyev pay? 
for completely ignoring the IJCJ ruling? Absolutely nothing. Because there was no political will to do anything. The only enforcement mechanism of the ICJ is the UN Security Council. The UN Security Council can say, you know, the ICJ said this, and so we're going to impose economic sanctions. We're going to uh, authorize the use of force. But they can also do that without an ICJ ruling, which means that the ICJ ruling means exactly mathematically nothing. However, if the ICJ really does order Israel to end the war, which Israel will ignore, a number of things can happen. Firstly, the enemies of Israel in every country on earth would be given momentum and sucker. And that could cause a lot of trouble for Israel on the political front with trade, with cultural exchanges and so forth. But primarily, it will undoubtedly reach the U.S. Security Council where the U.S., let's say sometime in March, right in the middle of the U.S. election campaign, will have to basically veto that uh, proposal, probably be opposed by most of the other members of the Security Council. That will be extremely uncomfortable for Biden, who's bleeding support because of his standing by Israel among key demographics that he needs to not only favor him, but to be motivated to go out and vote for him at the level of 100% participation. The Muslims in Michigan, Black Americans, and progressive youth. He needs them, and right at the wrong time, that veto would mess him up before November. And so we can expect that a lot of pressure will come from Biden on Israel to do something differently. And I think Israel would be well advised to do something differently anyway, because the current strategy of the war may have played itself out. Well, and... Of course, the idea that, again, as I alluded to before, that Hamas would view themselves as achieving their aims with a determination like that would seem to be a, a, a perverse incentive for them to not give anything further away. And of course, the point you make about our U.S. domestic politics is exactly what our resident Michigan-based expert and fellow substacker Jason Sattler was saying on this show just two days ago when he pointed out in his analysis that this is likely what's going on with Biden's struggles. He was just found in a poll in a head-to-head uh, -head matchup to be losing to Trump by eight points in a third-party race included, a third-party candidate Absolutely. included race, losing by 12 points. And the disproportionate, outsized Muslim population of Michigan, probably a key factor in what's going on there. So this is having an impact. We should all make no mistake. Let me get you out of here on this. I promised at the top of the show to people that there was some light at the end of the tunnel. And so I want to end on that note, not on the, oh my gosh, this is as terrible as it feels note. I do still kind of go back full circle to what really grabbed me here is for the first time seeing, you know, I read your framework for what needs to happen seriously months ago, you know, seriously months ago on your Substack. And this is the first sign of a domino falling. So are you seeing this report that the leadership of Hamas is open to going into exile? In your mind, are we, are you more, boy, it's hard in this context to say, to use terms like upbeat, positive. Are you more hopeful that we're closer to a positive solution, an end to this than you were a week ago? Absolutely. And it's not just that. I do think there's a certain logic to events, and sometimes we can be surprised by how things proceed. Like bankruptcies, empires and wars collapse and end first slowly and then very quickly. I think if Israel can get it together 
to articulate a positive day-after plan that would include genuine pro progress towards justice for the Palestinians, that would receive on its end peace with Saudi Arabia and, uh, and uh, moderate Arab countries. In other words, something good may actually come of this, a total reboot in the Middle East. It is conceivable. It's conceivable. I'm not predicting it. I'm saying it's possible. And an exile of the Hamas leadership, I think, is a is possibly an annoying but necessary part of it. Certainly, what I am predicting is that Israel is not giving up this battle with Hamas remaining in power in Gaza. That ship has sailed after 20 years of absorbing rockets, after this global historic pogrom on October 7th. That will not stand. And that's an analysis. It's not a, it's not a wish. It's not a statement. My analysis honestly is Israel is a democracy. At the end of the day, the people of Israel are no longer willing to tolerate this. I can only hope, I can only hope that this will attach itself to a broader understanding in the world of the need to do things a little bit more in a more focused way and ridiculous things that we have been somehow accepting. And by the way, that includes an obvious psychopath like Donald Trump being president. Ridiculous things we've been accepting will somehow no longer be acceptable. Maybe there's some way that the October 7th massacre will have helped us reach that clarity in the world. Look, if you're seeing a ray of hope, then that's encouraging to me, especially because it's based on your expert analysis, which is second to absolutely none. And if people want to get it firsthand, they should avail themselves of their nearest Google. Look up Ask Questions Later or danperry.substack.com. Dan Perry, thanks so much for all of your expertise. Thank you very much, man. Always a pleasure being here.